episode number seven. Welcome to the Intro Music Podcast. Uh, my name is Scott. And I'm Zach. And we have two guests Jake. today with us. Oh, oh shit. It was almost <laughs> so yeah, good. Do it again. Well, we can leave it like that because that's raw and organic. Or we can that's the again. podcast? Okay. What do you guys want to do? Well, we're, we're, we're keep, done now. Keep it in. Keep, keep the struggle, keep bro. In. Keep okay. the struggle. <laughs> today we have... Uh, Two very non-special guests with us. Hell yeah. Fucking ouch, dude. <laughs> uh, we have Jake from a band called Delacroix. Did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> got, uh, got Keon or Sasha. What do you want to be called for the next little bit? I, just, I A lot of people know me as Keon. I just like, yo, what's up? It's Sasha Keon. And people like pick whichever one they like. Okay, so we can keep changing it to confuse people, maybe. True, that's a good idea. Just make it right, seem like well, there's like seven people here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make it seem like we're bigger than we actually are. Uh, Keon plays in a local hard... Do you guys identify as a hardcore band? I know it was 2017. Dork. There's lots of genres you can identify with and safely. Dork hardcore, bro. Dork hardcore. Dork hardcore. So, <laughs> hardcore band. Uh, and then, for those of you who don't know, Zach plays in a... Hard rock band called Raised by Wolves, and then I play in a some sort of rock band called The Pathless Traveled. It's like a rock rock band. It is rock, but we don't sound like Creed, so I don't know. It's like what, uh, I don't know raw raw rock. You're raw rock. Yo, if you rock. don't sound like Creed, I'm fucking out. Dude, Creed <laughs> is fucking sick. <laughs> yeah, you All just put up a status about that. Sound like Creed. Yeah. Zach loves Creed, so you guys are probably. Other, if you're being sarcastic, you're hurting his feelings, and if you're being serious, I'm sorry. he probably wants to hug you. We're being serious as fuck. I was about to get ready to just like talk with some friends about Creed for an hour, but <laughs> I guess this is just a joke. Uh, no, man, I love Creed. So uh, what we wanted to talk about today, being that uh, we're four guys from four rock bands, I guess, at the end of the day. With uh, a lot of subgenres and twists, etc., we wanted to talk about uh, scene solidarity, um, bands from different genres working together, uh, bands from different genres and their relation, which, uh, as a lot of people know, isn't always the best. And uh, I think, like in my experience, I've never been involved in the hardcore scene directly. I've had friends who have been, so I've been to a lot of shows, but it seems to be one of the most accepting scenes in the city, but also at the same time. It's very, very specific, and there's a lot of, like, pretentious people and, like, solid opinions on what is cool and uncool. Is that is that true? Mm. Um, I would say, hold the fuck up, Jake. <laughs> I'm going to take this one, girl. Okay, go. Uh, fucking, <laughs> I would say in, like, the last couple years, uh, a lot of those, like, bros who were, like, super shitty to be around, like, would, like, hate moss shows and, like, scare kids away. Uh, they've kind of like disappeared. Like I find a lot of like the like atypical hardcore bands like Color in the Clouds and like our band and like Delacroix have kind of like rebuilt their own kind of separate thing. Like I I see a lot of new faces at shows and that's like one fucking sick, but two it's just like really accepting and like in in some ways like kind of PC, which is like dope in some ways and like yeah. That makes sense. I guess all the the atypical guys just got jobs at Seven Eleven and couldn't afford to go no, to I, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. show anymore. Maybe who knows? I think they couldn't I get think money from all, their parents. I think they all just got old and like their knees broke and stuff, and they couldn't hate mosh or like they chilled out. Like a lot of those dudes now, I fucking mouth kiss them, dude. Well, they're they like got, all right, guys. They got kids now. Yeah, that is uh, some. Amazing love. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can say for the rock scene, I guess we play in the mainstream rock scene, even though it's we're still underground. It's it's strange. Mm -hmm. Um, We, uh, you know, bands, there's a lot of support. But if if you're like a left out of left field band for the night, which We've been on more than one occasion. If we play a metal show, we're the lightest band. And if we play a, a, a rock show, we're the heaviest band by far. And we'll play our yeah. first chord and then everyone runs for the hills. 
Or if we're at a metal show, we'll play, and then we just get everyone crossing their arms and staring at us, and just like these guys suck. They're not metal, bro. So I've been on yeah. both sides of the coin, but I think for the most part, when we play in venues, bands are are uh, pretty accepting and ex- at least to your face. They're probably knocking you while you're playing. But oh yeah, <laughs> there's this one band called Raised by Wolves that I cringe every time. I <laughs> yeah, dude, they suck. Uh... <laughs> Every time we um, play, we're usually the heaviest, too. Like, I know that we've... I'm not going to mention the band, but there's a certain band that uh, everybody loves to watch um, at uh, a certain jam night, at a certain... Rhymes with Line Sager. And um, <laughs> we played really heavy music, and they were stood at the back of the place just, like, fingering us. And we're like, oh, <laughs> cool. Wow. What a I great community. <laughs> Yeah. Was I there that night? No, I think you I was the one flipping you off, probably. Oh, no, no, you weren't. You didn't have... <laughs> Thanks, boys. You didn't have that much hair. Oh, yeah. Nothing, yeah. Oh, the hair was like down to the nipples? Or like, no, <laughs> the hair, like, out the door forever long. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say, but it was... Uh, so, like, Slayer t-shirts and... Oh, no. Oh, no, sir. Oh. <laughs> this is... I, I can't even say, because I love watching them, too, but that was just a... Uh, just an interesting moment for the we're not the same genre of band let's just say and we tend to play heavy music on whatever gig it is everybody's like way way um i don't know lighter more mellow it's very weird i think part of it is like rock is not popular anymore or right now so the interest of starting a rock band in general is like why would you do that because you clearly have no future if you do this because what's popular right now is Linkin Park writing Justin Bieber songs. So, no, bro. It's fucking indie bands is where it's at. It's like an it, indie well, hip-hop fusion yeah, pop indie bands kind are of thing going on right now. Yeah, yeah, like it's Hi-Fi, some- they, they have indie bands and I, they're the only, they're the club that plays DJs all the time but other than indie bands, I don't think Hi-Fi books anybody else, right? I don't think so. I've never tried. Do you guys uh, have you heard of the band City Sleep? In I've Calgary? seen their name on Facebook or something like that. The name is familiar. It's triggering. Yeah, I've noticed. But... Uh, yeah, it's kind of like the 1975, or but with more like a hip hop influence. That's the mm-hmm. kind of shit that I've been seeing a lot lately. Mm. You also work in a studio, right? Or like intern uh, in a studio? I just finished the internship literally Friday. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I when, work when... at another studio called Blue Water, and that's just Blue like Water. tracking voiceovers for cartoons and anime and shit. That's kind of tight. It's kind of yeah, rad. It's yeah, it's awesome. been fun. When you were at the beach, what kind of when you when you had artists in, what kind of music were you you dealing with? Like a lot of hip hop, mm. like Ra- a lot of rappers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like yeah. In school, it was different. Like when I was doing the program. It was all different types of things because they try to like spread it out. But the dudes that would come in and book time, a lot of the time are just hip hop dudes, and they bring like fucking twelve dudes with. Yeah, them. And then they all like, just get high. Bossy. Yeah, they just like all get fucked up while you're tracking. Is it's that funny? That's kind of dope. Is that who has money though? Like, is that who really can come in and pay for studio time? Is like the hip hop guys. It seems like it. Like. They usually just pay with cash too. It's weird. Oh, fuck. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, but a lot of them don't seem like that, you know. Yeah, no, for people, sure. Yeah, I don't know. Do you know. think? Do How you think it's like, a, just like faking it? Do you think it's an easier, like, and this isn't like a being prejudiced on that kind of music. It's just like, do you think it's an easier kind of music to to create and produce, or because I know it's well, I think like if someone else is making your beats, yeah. Yeah. Like well, rapping is hard. And yeah, like, like rapping is cool, fucking hard. I like rap and I like some stuff, but like coming up with cool shit is hard. It's harder yeah. than like every genre to come up with something mm-hmm. really cool in my opinion. But a lot of the time, what a lot of rappers will do when they come into the beach is bring like a a beat in like an MP3 form or something, and then you're, you're tracking just vocals there, and it doesn't really make sense. It makes more sense if you're doing something like that to have like either produce it yourself or have a producer that you hire out right that you work with and shit and some dudes do do that but a lot of guys just don't it's weird. also like it's it's cost effective if you're a rapper because you can um like 
not not to knock it like we're saying like it's it's really hard to do syncopated words and rhyme and come up with clever clever things but studio time if you've already if you're walking into a studio with your beats already in mp3 files Mm -hmm. you can probably bang out like six to ten songs in an eight hour session oh fuck yeah yeah maybe it's a little high but four songs in an hour yeah, like, exactly. Like they just double up their their choruses, and then they've already got the the chick doing the hook on it or whatever. So yeah. like, yeah. you can save a lot of it's, it's super cost effective. You can lease or buy beats online for next to nothing now. And then when you yeah, go to right. a show, you just you can bring your your entire show on a thumb drive or a laptop. It's mm-hmm. it's part of like EDM is in kind of in a similar boat. Yeah. Although a lot of DJs they are producing their sounds live off the fly, which is good when you see a bunch of equipment and their mm-hmm. Mac is playing some of their tracks. But when you're in a rock band, just to go to the studio, you've got to bring your let's just say a four piece drum kit. But and if you're in Canada, it's gonna be minus thirty. Then you're gonna throw that in the car. You're mm-hmm. gonna drive down to the studio, you're gonna tune up the drums because they're freezing because they're cold. Drummer has to, to like reskin perform. Them. Yeah. <laughs> Then the drummer has to play as close to perfect as possible. Obviously, everyone needs edits, but and then then the engineer goes home that night. They edit the drums like crazy, and then the next day you carry you know four by twelves and different amp heads to the studio, and then switch out guitars, change all your strings, get that as tight as possible. Then the engineer has to edit everything, and the next day you do the vocals. So it takes you like like yeah. if you're doing one song or like in, in a three day setting, but like it's a lot of work to do that. And then to replicate your songs live, you've got to do all that again. You've got to bring all the gear. And then if you've got four bands on one night, the amount of time for changeovers, like it kills the kills the room in a lot of ways because you'll have a 20-minute set change and a lot of people leave because they're bored. I don't know. I, I've always kind of appreciated that about like seeing bands. It's like I get 20 minutes to just fucking chill out and like let my ears rest. And, but like, no, I get I get what you're saying. Like keep the party going at all times. But like... I think I think the real dudes kind of uh, can appreciate a bit of a changeover. Mind you, half hour is like bullshit. Like if I'm sitting there for 20 minutes and Dog's still setting his drums up, I'm going to murder someone. But like, you know, like I, I, yeah. I don't mind like a 10, 15 minute wait. That shit's tight. I think... I think musicians appreciate it more too, because while they're setting up, you're like, "Oh, yeah. dude, well, me, I'm like, dude, he's playing this cab or this, car <laughs> or whatever." I'm just a huge gear guy, so I'll see what they're playing, and I'm like, "Dude, I like it," or like, "Oh man, this band's gonna suck." They're playing through Fender reverbs or whatever. <laughs> I would say, for like hard rock, liking liking hard rock, but yeah, and I think the casual mute, like, I think part of the reason this is a bit of a tangent, but part of the reason DJs and that kind of hip like EDM, hip hop, etc., are taking off is because a club can just pump music for four to six hours straight, like absolutely nonstop. The DJs switch laptops, all the the spinning gear and the mixing gear is all the same, and then within their their changeover, they can just you know hit play on a, a playlist of some kind, and that'll keep bumping the bumping the tunes. They can switch out their their equipment, and then the next DJ starts. And it's pretty seamless. He just does like a crossfade, fades down the house track, and puts up his mix, and then it's really efficient. Able to go, it's really efficient. Yeah. I, and I mean, yeah, but like also, like they'll play like uh, you go to like a hall show or something. Like they'll just like blast hardcore, like super ignorant hardcore, while the band sets up, and then like you know, it'll it'll happen. There's always downtime, but like yeah, I get I get what you're saying. I think I'm just talking about like fiscally from a venue's perspective. I think uh, like hardcore doesn't play in too many venues, right? All, hardcore is a lot of hall shows because it's very encompassing of the community and a lot of all mm-hmm. ages kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. For the most part, because like my band, I think we've played one all ages show. Everything else has been bars. Are there like really? Are there many venues left for that? I think uh, Chip and Anchor on Sundays is it really? Uh, no, Broken City uh, on Sundays. What's it called? Broken City. That's not, not Chip and Anchor. There's, there's no dedicated all ages venues as far as I'm aware right now. Um, mind you, I haven't like super been looking cause like the whole point of being in a punk band and shit is just like, dog, I'm going to play in some dude's basement or like fucking bathroom or something and it's going to be tight. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm kind of pro bullshit. Like I, I sort of want to play a rave sort of thing. Like I just, 
I just feel like uh, the thing about like punk and hardcore, the reason it won't go away is because you can't kill it. Like if people want to play, they'll just fucking set up in a parking garage with like a Jenny and then just play. Yeah. It was like a house. It was like, it was like the trap house or something like that. that yeah, like trap house. Yeah. Yeah, that was, was fun. Chad Ruff is running that, I think. Right? Yeah, dude. Shout out, shout out to Chad and Setback, fucking holding it down for the scene. Like, yeah, I back that. Yeah, that was good times for show. That what? Was um, so if if all ages venues are kind of going away, what do you think that will do to hardcore? Because you guys probably started out going to shows at the New Black. Yep. And what was that other place? The Alibi or whatever. It was yeah, Alibi was. I went to tight. that place a lot. I remember that was oh. super fun. I, I I slept there a lot of times too. I had a lot of fun doing that. I remember watching like Fall City Fall Apart. Oh, cool. that shit was tight. But yeah, that's kind of what I think. The alibi is what really made me be like, damn, being in a band would be fun. Yeah, yeah. I went to the so, new back black and played a few times. Acu- some acoustic stuff, but I think like three people showed up. Yeah, that's what I played. So like most shows, it wasn't really the best location. So like no, it definitely nah. it, fucking Inglewood some problems and those stairs, dude. Loading drums up those stairs sucked. That was oh, the worst. God, I can only imagine. Oh, man, I'm actually glad for that. I'm actually glad for that. I had no previous experience. Like the New Black was the first place I played, so like I thought shitty load-ins were like the norm, and now <laughs> I'm just like I'm ready to load into anywhere. Like let's load in through a fucking war zone, bro. I'll just dodge <laughs> grenades on my way into the venue. <laughs> That makes sense. I like, yeah. like, I don't know. The Beggar is one of my favorite places to load in. I don't know if you guys have played there, but it's like there's a door beside it right <laughs> backstage. There's shelves for gear. It's like, it's so nice. What is this place called? Again? Blind Beggar. Oh, Blind Beggar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I have not played there, unfortunately. Uh, they caught, They told me that they don't like having bands with screaming in it because it scares people <laughs> off. And I was like, true. They, they were. Um, I, do you guys fucking remember when we played Back to Your Roots and then we played Nirvana and like we psyched people out with the Smells Like Teen Spirit opener and then we went into Rets and everyone left. I do remember. <laughs> yeah. by the third song, it was mainly bar oh. staff and the other bands. <laughs> that was fucking awesome. I actually was really proud of that. <laughs> wow. I guess on that, like, what. How could you, how do you think we can make a mixed bill that supports multiple genres and keeps a, keeps a room live from the beginning to the end? Is that possible or do you think you need to do genre-specific shows? 100%. Jake, you go first, but I have my own thoughts on this. I think, just personally, I know like other cities throw hardcore and metal shows more often and like different countries throw it a lot more. I just think people in Calgary need to fucking stop being pussies <laughs> like, act- <laughs> like actually though Holy like <laughs> like seriously i think it doesn't I- make it like doesn't make any sense to me it's fun like i've i've had a lot of fun at you know indie shows and stuff too but hardcore and metal and rock is fun to do as well and it's fun to watch i just think people have to have like more open mind I remember, like, and I think venue, like people that own the venues and book the shit, need to have more open minds as well. True, I've been shut down a lot of times. Um, for for my own fucking input on that, I think it's five hundred percent possible to do mixed bills. Uh, to touch on what Jake said, though, like I think part of the problem is like an exposure problem. I find a lot of the people who become accepting of hardcore and stuff like that are introduced to it at a turbulent time in their life and what's the most turbulent time for all human beings teenage fucking high school you got it that angst man so so like we need we need to be hitting the all ages shows like i think that's part of the way you make a mix bill work like a lot of those high school kids they don't give a fuck they just want to like listen to sweet bands regardless of what they are like i i used to be able to like jump on a bill with like a pop punk band a scrams band and like a deathcore band like i have played those at the new black and fucking people were there. It was tight. Like I think I think it's an exposure problem mostly, but there there definitely is an attitude about it. Like the amount of time someone's been like, "Oh, your band does this screaming." I'm like, "Dog, fucking just come check it out." Like <laughs> I I know for a fact from like touring experience and stuff, the best way to win over a crowd is just to not have like 
not give a fuck and just like have fun and they can't help but like you no matter how weird your band is and like it's not hard for us to win people over it's just a matter of like actually getting them out and like like i said an exposure issue i feel like if uh, there were posters up in high schools or like if MySpace made a major comeback or some shit, like we'd, uh, we'd be in business, but never. like, I don't never. even think it's like the young adults or the teenagers that don't want to see that stuff. I think it's just the venue owners who think that people don't want to see that shit. Cause I have taken yeah, people yeah. that don't listen to that kind of music out to shows and they thought it was dope and, yeah, they, and they had I, a good time. Yeah. That's definitely part of it. I think, yeah. I think it's like a lot of different things though. I think it's that, I think it's exposure. Uh, I think it's the fact that like J- Jake's kind of right about like people just like being shitty about it. Like a lot of the time, like I'll invite people out to shows and they're like, can I drink there? And I'm like, fucking just like, just fucking come dude like just come dance with me let's party our pants off i just read this uh interesting article in the toronto sun it was said should venues um not be relying on alcohol sales in order to stay open it was a really interesting piece i don't know if it's possible because like the the all ages venues went they lost money right like they're gone because they couldn't afford to keep up in, in calgary so, to me, that says you need to have a business model that's sustainable, and you need to be really creative to make that work. Because, yeah, I like whenever I play a show, I try and speak with the venue owner. I try and get a bit of the inside baseball and how things work, just so I can understand what I I can do better as a promote. Because I've done shows, I've promoted shows mm-hmm. before. I play in a band and I help other friends get shows. So I want to know what a venue wants to hear, what they're looking for, in order to make shows more successful. Because everyone wants like. At the end of the day, when you play your songs to a packed room and people are loving it, enjoying themselves, having a good night out, there's no better feeling in the world as a musician, I think, other than maybe when you're, when you're in the studio and you're creating stuff and you're stoked at what you're making. Do you, know, do you know what does feel tighter than that, Scott? What's that? Playing your own songs to the room and then fucking headwalking on that packed crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Just fucking step on some faces. It's tight. Scott, to kind of touch on what you were saying, I think that with the article, I agree that maybe venue shouldn't rely on it, but I think I'm agreeing with you saying that it's it's smart to have it because if you know that a band's popular, like I'm going to use um, open air as an example, like yeah. if mm-hmm. a if a venue books open air, they're like, okay, we're going to get so many people because we know, like obviously we've heard of them and we know that these people are they're going to they're going to buy beer or they're going to bring their friends and their friends are going to buy beer. So I think it's not necessarily in that regard relying on it, but if you're looking at it like, "Oh man, we can't book any bands except for this really like shit band who's not going to bring a lot of people, but at least they're going to drink, so we'll make a little bit of money." I think that that mindset is is bad and you shouldn't have that. But I think like you're talking about a smart business model. It's definitely good, yeah. especially if you know they're going to bring a lot of people. You're going to make some extra money because you know people are gonna buy drinks and that's just how it goes when you're a pub i think i think actually you you started me on a train of thought there i think another issue might be uh and i hate saying this because god bless them for trying but i think part of the issue might be how promoters go about promoting shows um I've, i've played some really good shows with some really great promoters but i've also played some shows where they're like you guys need to sell tickets and uh yeah we're not gonna pay you bro and i'm like are you fucking kidding me like how are people supposed to stay motivated when it's like we're fucking promoting our own show which is kind of your job uh it's literally in the description and uh like we're we're walking away with nothing. I'm not saying like yo, you need to just show four hundred dollars for every local band, but like, fucking throw these kids a bone. Like I know if I was a kid and I got fifty dollars from playing like a half hour set, uh, we just throw that in our in our band fund and like put it towards merch or something and like kind of double down on making money because then after a couple shows we'd be able to do a small run of shirts and sell those and it would just build up. And like bands would be recording and they'd be, be be able to like promote their stuff more on like Facebook by buying ad space or whatever. Like throwing money into the scene, 
it's kind of part of the problem. Everyone's such a fucking cheap ass, and it's like, dog, spend all the money on your band. Mm-hmm. Like, the it's it's shitty to say, and like, as someone who considers themselves like a punk rocker or whatever, like, it sucks to admit, but money kind of makes the world go round, and like in these situations, like we can't afford to not be paying bands or at least like helping them out a little. Yeah, for sure. So what I'm saying is buy my shirts. You can find them at petrified.bandcamp.com. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. That's awesome. I, I do agree. I like I personally I have a very unique hybrid view on show promotion. I think it's thirty three percent the band, thirty three percent the promoter, thirty three percent the venue. Mm-hmm. If you go to the venue a week before your show to see your friend's band and your event poster is not up. That sucks because you're not being promoted. Um, yep. Dickens does that. They they put up posters for all their shows. So when you're there uh, walking in the hallway to the bathroom, you'll see eight to ten posters for everything they've got going on for the month. Really good. Um, Beggar, they don't really do posters unless the band offers it because they're, they're doing, I think they're doing uh, anywhere between eight to 14 bands a week. Mm-hmm. So for them to pay for all those posters, etc., like be a lot of work. What I usually do when we play there is I make the poster, and then the beggar is more than happy to print them off for us. And they, as long as we put uh, one of their title sponsors on the bottom of the poster, they can use it. Like it's they're really they work with us. But at the end of the day, a lot of venues are small businesses. It's not like the owners are sitting just on piles of cash, especially in um, today's economy where we live in a city of Calgary, which highly you know is reflective of the, the price of oil and that's kind of the way it mm-hmm. is so when the economy is crappy and people aren't going out to buy drinks these small businesses are suffering at the same time in the same mm-hmm. way that the bands are and i think whenever the economy has a downturn music kind of comes and fills a void but now that there's so many like for example in the 30s like blues and slide guitar etc was really born out of the depression like cigar box guitars because they couldn't afford to buy regular ones. So they built them mm-hmm. on what they had and then they played music. And then that became, you know, a reflection of, uh, of what, what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I think when a venue puts up posters and they, they create the Facebook event, they send their invites and the beggar, they have a monthly email and they'll email out all the mm-hmm. shows in the monthly email to their emailing list. And we we received radio promotion for a show we did in October called uh, The Fatal 4-Way. We had X929 ads all week, and that Hell was covered yeah. by The Bigger. So they, that was really cool, you turning on the radio, hearing your band name, etc. Like, they do some cool yeah, stuff. Cool. When we work with Marquee, usually they pair with the radio station, so we, we get a bit of radio plugging that way. Um, but I think I don't think it's, a, it's wrong for a band to sell tickets because you it helps guarantee your friends come. No, God, God think, no. Um, what's that? God, no, like that's fucking sell tickets. I just mean like the amount of shows I've played where it's like, yo, I need you to sell fucking 20 tickets or you can't play it. Mind you, I understand it. It's not a slate against promoters and bands that like need to do that. I just think it's kind of a little, it's, it's coming from the right place, but like, I feel like the, the intentions are good, but it's not the right way to do it. Like, I, I think there's just a better way of doing this. Right. I think, to yeah. me, a, a pre-show meet, like, I don't know. I think hardcore shows and rock shows might have slightly different agendas. So I could be saying things that are applicable for me that aren't necessarily applicable for you. No, dude, everybody everybody wants people at their shows. Like, bottom line, fucking be there. I, I guess, yeah. Like, at the end of the day, that's what you want. So, like, what I think is, like, Whenever I do a show, for example, I do some sort of pre-production meeting. Mm-hmm. I create a Facebook, a private Facebook group with one point of contact from every band. Mm-hmm. And then I post updates leading up to it. So I'll be like, hey, guys, here's what's going on. Here's here's what's happening. I try and be open and communicate with everybody. Yeah, but that's um, that's just good promoting. Like that, that's that's just being a good promoter. Like the amount of times I've just had some like dude be like, Yo, just uh, come pick up tickets on Friday, and I haven't talked to any of the bands. I have no idea how much they're selling, where they're postering, <laughs> where they're selling, who they're selling to. It's just like a big fucking mess. Like that's just frustrating. Like that's just good promoting, Scott. That's just you killing right. it. Is all that is. 
Yeah, I I've think se- I every- think I've seen you do like a lot of new media stuff too, which I think is a good yeah. idea. Like using I, like Snapchat stories yeah, being, and like Instagram. It's being severely underutilized. Like all that kind of shit. Talking about your show, getting it hyped up. I think was it the Fatal Four one that you were like snap chatting about and like posting pictures on Facebook about and stuff. Yeah. They did like yeah. videos and shit too. Yeah. That that's, Usually, that's like a, that's a smart way of promoting. And you don't see very many hardcore bands doing that anyways. True. But I think like I think hardcore and rock have a lot in common, honestly. They definitely as far do. as far as like promoting goes i like i like both genres i'd see both so i don't know it's it's probably like a similar agenda but i think a lot of i'm not saying sasha that you don't give a fuck but a lot of hardcore bands just like i mean i don't think think promoting is like fucking lame like self-promoting and shit and they think it's like selling out or whatever but i mean if you want to keep on doing what you're doing then you gotta fucking adapt and like you gotta do what you gotta do I remember I watched this documentary with Tom DeLonge, Lover Hate Blink-182. Um, he would, after his high school closed for the night, he would break into his high school and he would use the staff photocopy machine. He would make like 400 copies of his band's flyer and then he would run and throw in every single locker. And then they would open their locker in the morning and there'd be this show flyer in their locker and no one would know, oh, that's Tom is the one who put it in here. They would just be like, oh, Hey, the show's going on, and that kind of mystery of how it got there just made it exciting. So Blink was selling like 200 tickets in Los Angeles by the time they were 19. Hmm. So then they got a manager, and that's why. Like Blink is not, especially at the beginning, they're terrible. Like they are not a good band. Their songs suck. Their mixes Mm -hmm. are terrible. Everything about them is so bad. But their live show was so fun. They would have like super soakers on stage, and they did crazy stuff. And their shows were parties, so people would keep going, and it was exciting. And now I think Blink-182 became great composers because they ended up doing 10,000 hours of playing shows and composing and songwriting, etc. But at the yeah. beginning, they were just like everybody else. They just they were really smart about their marketing, and that's what helped them get quite large. Yeah, I think I think actually that that that's kind of something I was thinking about just now too. Is like, um. Fucking not to not to slate the poster thing because I think that's good, but I've I've never gone to a show because of a poster. Like people need to be more smart about it. I've always gone to a show because I've heard someone be like, "Yo, this band is sick," or I've heard it on the radio, or because I keep seeing this band on Facebook, on Snapchat, on Instagram. Like I see them everywhere. That's yeah. how you get a kid to go to a show, and I think. Also, again, that was like a high school crowd. Like, I think that's kind of your market for local shows. Like, they're kids that have free time and not a lot of responsibility, and they kind of want to fuck around. And like, you can provide a space for them to do that. I think a like a big part of promotion is also being like approachable and like a cool dude at shows and like talking to people and fucking word to and, that like, dude. Networking through being friends oh, with people huge. that networking that has huge. worked for me. Like not like I haven't practiced that too too much. I haven't had the chance to really yet because I haven't played a show in a long time. But for bands that I go to a lot, it's because I think they're really cool people, and it makes the music a little bit better for me when I really yeah. think they're cool people, and I would hang out with them, and that just makes me like their band even more. It makes me want to support them. That's basically what happened with like Color in the Clouds, Sellout, like yeah, and Sellout, and <clears throat> and a couple of other bands like. I went on tour with Color in the Clouds and sold merch for them and shot a video. Color in the Clouds and who? Just because I liked them, and so yeah. I think that's like a great way of promotion to get people, get your name out there and everything. Color in the Clouds and who, Jake? Who else and was on Petrify that? as well. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw an interview with Kevin Lyman. He's the guy who runs the Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. He was talking about getting involved, and he's like, number one thing: be a nice guy, make connections, because you never know when that connection is going to save you. And he talked about the first year of the warp tour, they were like in the hole. It was terrible. The bands were rioting because they were, they needed to have a 30% merch cut in order to stay afloat. Yep. Bands were selling their shirts across the street from the, from the warp tour. Like it was like a gong show Every, and people were canceling because word of mouth was getting around. This show was just from hell basically. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, um, his good relationships, people were like, Oh no, we'll give you another chance. So they gave him a second chance with the warp tour he paired up with Vans. He was hoping to get thirty grand. He ended up getting three hundred thousand dollars, and then that's how he booked the Warped Tour. That's how like it exploded to what it is. And I think they're in their 
22nd year like something mm-hmm. something large right now so yeah like knowing people is huge networking's huge and it's kind of hard because a lot of um, musicians are introverted yeah, yeah so true. you don't really want to meet new people you don't want to talk to too many new people no it's hard i'm kind of on the fence between an introvert <clears throat> and extrovert yeah me too dude. but i th- like if you think but about you're not a this, dick yeah, well, that's <laughs> well, that's another that's part thing too. A lot but if of I think about just like a lot of guys are just dicks. Fucking so they put themselves. So it's hard they to put like, themselves my band on is pedestals than your band. too. Yeah, like some guys just do not seem approachable. You see them playing, like, oh hey man, nice set. They're like, yeah, I know, I fucking killed it. You're like, yeah, all right. <laughs> I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna say hi to you ever again. Yeah. I hate you. Fucking. <laughs> Uh, I've never experienced that in my I life. I kind of love that. I kind of want to experience that. Like, I haven't seen it in like six years, but I kind of want to see that oh. again. <laughs> Probably every other rock show we play, there's something, maybe not every other rock show, but at least four times a year, let's say that we, we experience Jesus himself on stage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Uh, I, like back to like meeting people. Um, if I think about this conversation, Zach and I went to the same high school, but we weren't in the same class. He messaged me because he knew I was doing music and he was yep. just starting video. Yep. So he was like, "Hey, can I record your you doing an acoustic performance of some song for free?" And I said, "Sure." So I went over. Now Zach and I are really good friends. We run this podcast. We both play in bands. Um, like I help mix and record some of his band stuff. Like we're really involved together. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake, we met through a studio, I believe. We lived in the same town growing up, but I think I'm a bit older than you, so we never really met each other. Yeah, like that. but I feel we like met, I feel we like met like at I've the met studio you before the beach. We probably yeah. have. Like I was at Color in the Cloud shows. I would go to New Black occasionally. So like yeah. I'm, we probably were around, but. Mm-hmm. Through music and being involved in a studio, we met each other that way. Now we talk, you know, fairly regularly and like mm-hmm. have have that relationship. Yeah. And Keon, you you played back to your roots. I totally screwed you over. No, dude, that <laughs> was fucking that was <laughs> fucking hilarious. Time. That was the tightest <laughs> show ever. I would do it again. No, I'm talking about how I met you when I was like, yeah, come to my house at seven. We'll shoot this acoustic cover of Nirvana. And then you're like, okay, so this date? And I'm like, yeah, that'll be the Sunday. And it was a Saturday. And then I was at a wedding or not a wedding, a graduation. (laughs) And you're like, I'll be at your house in 10 minutes. No. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. I (laughs) was like, dude, I'm really sorry. And then the guitarist is like, oh, I drove from Edmonton. I was like, oh, I'm I'm going to hell. Like, I'm the worst person on this planet. Do you know what, Scott, though? Um. When whenever Petrify talks about you though, like in our own space, the thing is, like you were saying earlier about just being a good guy, like we weren't even butthurt when that happened, and then like we don't even we don't even talk about that when we talk about you. It's always talking about like, man, Scott's a fucking solid guy. Like he's always backed us and like always helped us, and he's always been like down to work with us. Like obviously you know, but other people don't know. Like you've done pre-production and we're working on an EP with you right now, for example, and you're like yeah. being super fucking reasonable about it and like communicating with us and helping us. And I think that speaks a lot to clever segue here, uh, mixed genre relations, like between dudes who really theoretically shouldn't be interacting very much, but like are. Uh, yeah, that's really true. Yeah. Like most, I, I, um, I've always been around hardcore, but I've never actually listened to hardcore too, too much. Um, like, I like bands like Rise Against and Under Oath, but that's not really what hardcore is. I don't really know what hardcore is exactly, but, like, it, it it's not the terror, madball kind of vibe. Dude, I'm, but, I'm not about um, that either. Said, I'm more about Under Oath. I love yeah, Under Oath. I'm, kind of I'm so the, excited to see them in April. I'm on the same page. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, I'm fucking I think jealous I, about that. I'm a big that. fan of Melody. Oh, dude, that, that show. Zach and I going together. It's going to be so good. And Bring Me the Horizon, too. <laughs> right here That's bring Me the Horizon forever. and Beartooth, dude. God damn it. <laughs> so excited. Fight some it's going to be... <laughs> it's going to be unreal. That's sick. Sorry, what were you saying? Um, I cut yeah, you off you, <laughs> Well, you, you definitely, like... Yes, for all intents and purposes, like... Um, maybe Zach and I should be friends based on the genre music we play. Maybe like mm-hmm. on paper. Yeah. But, um, but I fucking it's hate It's much, <laughs> much better. The way, <laughs> like, I don't know. There's so much you can learn. There's so much you can pick up from other people in the scene. Like there's so many things, little subtle things you can pick up on how to promote a show, how to like even performance. Like when you, see, the more bands you see, the more as a front man, you were like, Okay, that really works, or that does not work at all. Mm-hmm. Um, what band opened for Sum Forty One? 
recently went. I don't know if you guys went to that show. I would not. It was know. as as it, as it is, is as and it then is, yeah, that's like that pop punk band with that famous YouTuber who's the front man. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then all the rest of the band was like forty, and there's this like nineteen year old, yeah, pretty that boy. Guy, yeah, that guy who has like the wicked high voice. Yeah, it was super high. It was yeah. great. He's a super super talented. Yeah, he's super talented. Um, yeah, but it was the middle band. What are they called? Um, hang on. I'm gonna look this up because I want to get this right. It was the weirdest front man I've ever seen in my life. Oh, dude! Have you have you seen Hail the Villain ever? Uh, they're that Canadian band, right? They're from Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> Holy fuck! That guy was fucking cracked out or something. <laughs> I don't know what it was. He was like flapping his arms like a vulture. It was tight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Senses fail. The uh, guy okay. was oh, like fuck. skipping. Fails tight. Oh, okay, I don't like good set, but like <laughs> the weirdest person I've ever seen in my life. Holy crap! It's uh, funny. He uh, he used his mic cable as a skipping rope. He was checking his pulse and running on the spot. He was doing jumping jacks and push ups and like was like dissing his own music in between sets bro he's got, on the he's regular gotta, he's gotta and it's a, like if you hate your music why why would i want to be invested in what you're doing he's gotta and he was like mad somehow. that they were famous he's like here's a song you know because it was in some rom-com and then they played it uh, and he was mad to play he it. must have been office like, he hated it it's like that guy in the office who hates his job but he's still working there i bet you he's famous like, though <laughs> like that dude was probably bet fucking what? tuned when he went on stage like, all right, boys, let's fucking yeah. crank another hit out. Let's do this. Yeah, he was fucked up for he sure. He must have been. I don't like the amount of energy. His cardio is insane. Like, there's no question. <laughs> yeah. His cardio. That's Probably the why best I say cardio I've ever seen. His cardio was man. sick. So that was Dude, that, that, wasn't, cardio. that wasn't cardio. That was cocaine. Yeah, straight <laughs> cocaine-io. up. Cocaine's a wonderful drug, I guess. That's what, that's what I hear. It's yeah. beautiful. Don't. Charlie <laughs> Murphy. <laughs> It worked out well for Scarface. Yeah. Know, yeah. Being addicted to Coke. And Rick James. <laughs> Rick James. <laughs> um, is there anything else we could cover on Solidarity? Um I think uh the biggest thing about Solidarity is actually more personality based, actually. That's that's my opinion on it. I've I've never had a problem interacting with like people of different genres. Like Petrify played a fucking rap show and people were stoked just because we were stoked and like having fun and everybody was super friendly. Uh we've played indie shows and had a good time. Like it's it's mostly about the kind of people you attract. Like your vibe attracts your tribe and like if you're a fucking shithead, you're going to have an awful time. Like anytime yeah. I leave a show, if I had a bad time, it's like, it's because I'm a shithead and I only blame myself. And I think that's kind of key to understanding mm. how to interact with bands who are like atypical for you to interact with. Yeah. Yeah. It, is, I, it really does come down to personality. At the end of the yeah. Day. Like I've, I've never had a problem. Uh, like, Sure, it might be tough to get people to come out to the shows with a lack of like all ages presence or whatever uh, on mixed bills, but like I've never had a problem with people on mixed bills. In fact, like I've always found people come up to me and they'll be like, "Yo, that's not my vibes," but like you're my vibes. <laughs> yeah, well, we our first CD release. Don't listen to it, the, the album, but like <laughs> when we played that, a band called Tire or not Tire Fire, um, Peter and the Wolves opened up. And uh, they are this rockabilly band that, like, literally plays an upright bass. They've got greaser hair. They're wearing leather jackets. Super 50s vibe. Were they slightly it's racist? so cool. <laughs> they were sick. Were they? And God damn it. Were they what? Were they slightly they were sick, racist? I enjoyed. Pre-Civil <laughs> War America. Like, let's be real. That place was scary. Uh, oh, God. They were very friendly. I don't know. I, I, Maybe it's because you're I didn't, white. I didn't ask them their opinion on uh, minor, racial minorities. Okay. But um, their music was really cool. And, like, we sounded nothing like them. Yeah. Not even a little bit. But I loved their set. And I was like, dude, you guys are dope. I dig what you guys are doing. Um, like, keep it up. Like, it's awesome. And they've been touring around. They play Ship and Anchor now regularly. Like, they're doing well for what they're doing. And they probably don't even remember us. But... I really, really enjoyed what they were doing, and 
um, I recommend them to other people. There's another band called Crack the Lens. They're like a Celtic rock band. Fuck yeah. Bit heavier than uh, Mumford Hold and up. Sons. What's that? That's That was straight pirate rock. I don't know what Celtic. Yeah. But you're talking about that pirate was pirate vibes. rock, man. <laughs> well, they definitely were trying to be a bit heavier because they were on a bill with us. Yeah. Like they, they had mentioned that. So like my band will do that on a quick tangent. Like if we're playing with a bunch of classic rock bands, or whatever our cover is going to be you know reflective of that and if we play with like finger 11 which we did like we we covered uh pop i don't know we played we covered rise against for finger 11 yeah. and then when we opened for pod we covered papa roach like we we try and like cater your sound a little bit to the audience play songs you like at the same time but like you can cater your sound a bit to the bill so that your people are more accepting because even if you want to be on a mixed genre bill, sometimes people don't accept you as as an audience member and as a non musician. And you you kind of want to show showcase your best, but you also want to market yourself a little bit. Those, I, I think that's it. I think it's respectful normies, to bro. do that. Those fucking normies they're ruining everything for us. <laughs> uh. <coughs> but could you imagine playing to a crowd of only musicians? Uh, They'd be like, dude, his shirt's tucked in. Dude, his guitar's out of tune. Dude, that floor tom sounds like crap. Dude, that snare is awful. And then like, no one would even... What about the song, dude? Because I only go to shows with musicians. (laughs) So that's all you fucking hear like the whole night. I fucking hate (laughs) that. Oh, dude, that amp amp head fucking blows. And that's me. That's 100% me sometimes. That's me too. Why is he playing that? I know it like no other way. Yeah, I I guess when I started going to shows, I was like, I thought everything was fucking dope yeah but now it's kind of different a little I kinda, bit i guess I've, yeah, i'm kind of ruined myself more about that just like I, I i'll even like i intentionally will just like look away from the stage while the band sets up and then when i hear them play their first song it's like <laughs> you guys have 45 seconds to win me over like <laughs> that, that's a good it depends that's a good it way depends to go on the situation it. though because there's stuff like rock and for dollars which mm-hmm. is a very good example yeah, by the way of mixing genres you can't control your gear yeah i love mm-hmm. that yeah you can't, and y- it's all about the band. Yeah, then. it totally is, and I really, I really like Rockin' for Dollars. I've been having fun. Oh, I'm a huge fan shows. of Rockin' for Dollars. Fucking Some people don't get it. Man, I love dude, it. Shout out to BJ for holding it down. Can we get a shout out to BJ right now? <laughs> yeah, hell yeah! Fucking shout out to BJ, bro. BJ Downey is the man. Yes, <laughs> I uh, I enjoy working with him. He's a good guy. Yep. Yeah, those shows are cool. Like you see some punk, you see a little bit of rock, you see a little bit of hip hop, a little bit of folk. Some trippy 70s shit is fucking tight. Mm-hmm. It's, Everything. Yeah, it's and good shit. I also, what I also like about it is it shows that gear doesn't matter because yep. everyone's playing through the same trainer amps with the same drum kit, and you'll have one band that goes up that's maybe just starting or whatever, and like they don't sound great, whatever. The next band comes up, they're established, and then, you know they play, they've played many shows. Same equipment. They just blow everybody's yep. mind. So like, it, it shows talent is in the uh, – pardon me. Sound is in the hands and talent is with the band. Yes. It's not really the gear you're playing. And it it proves us as musicians wrong. 500%. I'm super guilty of that. That's actually on that, on that note, uh, rocking for dollars is what made me start like policing myself and like start being less of a fucking loser going and watching bands. Like actually just, yo dude, like that. And I hate saying it because like we're a band that like a lot of people have seen and stuff and are like, yo, your band's sick or whatever. So like, I don't want to let people down by like being like, yo, I used to be a judgmental shithead, but like, we're all, we're all human, right? Like nobody was yeah. born woke. hundred percent. Maybe we should do a podcast at rocking for dollars one time. That'd be kind of fun. Dude, fucking 500%. Could, yeah. Could, that'd be dope. Probably. We could just talk up. shit about all the other bands. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, this guy's playing through a trainer amp as well. This band's gonna suck. Yo, fucking cello, that was tight. Everyone else sucks. Hey man, trainer, <laughs> trainers are good cabs, dude. It's some good shit. shit. Well, at the end of the day, it's really good. I love being wrong. I love when a band yep. comes up with like my least favorite band uh, amp is a Fender Reverb because yeah, um, it's a clean amp and it's not really like. And if they walk with Fender Reverbs, I'm be like, okay, this is not gonna be the hard rock experience I'm looking for. Yep. And then. This one, my one friend named Mitch, he played a Fender Reverb, and but he had a pedal with a Mesa modeling amp mm-hmm. on it, and then he put it through, and he's his tone was unreal, and I was like, okay, I can be wrong, I can be wrong from time to time. Yeah, I'm accepting the, of that. I I really like when a band like I don't like the pieces by themselves, but they come together and create something fantastic. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that's like amazing. I yeah. That can also I agree work, with loving. I love being it wrong. when it works. That shit's awesome. Yeah. Well, we just kind of hit the fifty minute mark, so I think we should probably wrap it up, so people still want to listen to us. Okay. Next time we you know do a podcast, but I appreciate you guys' time. Thank you very much to Jake and Sasha for stopping in on the Inter Music Podcast. Oh, thanks, B. Thanks for having thanks me. Thanks for having us. How man. can uh, how could how can people find you guys on social media if you want to be found? Um, I know there's a meme right now about Batman thinking about deleting social media. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't want to, but he needs it because he's an artist. Yep. You can. Maybe they can find your bands. Whatever. Jake, Plug Jake you go. Right Bandcamp.com, Or you can type in Jake Carter Kerr Music on YouTube. Or you can follow me on Instagram at Kerr. Ache, Ache Kerr. I don't even know if I'm following you. Wait, so you're that, missing the J? Yeah, I miss. Well, it's uh, a C H E K E R R. A little play on a oh, little okay. play on words, right Fuck there. You. That's pretty smart. <laughs> I, Jake, I don't Jake use Instagram a, ever, so I need to. Jake is such a heartache. Instagram. Yeah, that's, that's why. why I did it, man. Oh, I know. Hell yeah, he gets it. Okay. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, but that's me. What about you, Sasha? Uh, Follow. There you go. You got a new follower because of this podcast. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, go Jake. Shit. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Facebook under Sasha Keon Zakavich, uh, and just like add me and I'll chat with you. I don't give a fuck. You can find our band cool. on Facebook under Petrify HXC. You can find us on Instagram under Petrify AXC, HXC. Sorry. And then our uh, band camp is petrify.bandcamp.com. We've got merch and like a really old CD up there. And uh, if you want to follow me personally, I'm 43% turnt underscore on uh, Instagram. <laughs> Fucking shout out to Dillinger there. And uh, yeah, chat me up. I'd love to uh, hear what you thought about the podcast and shit. Right on. Well, we'll be sharing this up and uh if you're listening, you enjoyed this, let us know. Um, if you enjoyed this topic. If you didn't, you message know, we me want and your tell feedback. me I'm a loser. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell Keon he sucks yeah, for sure. It, it was all me. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, if this is a topic you want to hear more of, just let us know. We'll, we'd love to uh, do it. And if you have any questions, uh, by all means, shoot us a message or you know, text us. Get a hold of us. Let us know what you want to hear on this thing. Because we absolutely love talking music and recording the conversations. just a bonus. <laughs> so uh, once again, my name is Scott. I'm Zach. And thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Peace. Bye.